This podcast is presented to you by Passion Church and their campus in Montgomery, Alabama. For more information, visit www.mypassion.church. recognize all the dads today. All the dads just stand up. We want to just recognize you. Fathers, grandfathers, great-grandfathers. God bless you. Just remain standing a minute. want to pray over you. want to pray over you. You know, it, as I was saying earlier, it's so special to have a dad. And it's special to be one, isn't it? I think it's one of the greatest, greatest thrills, greatest pleasures of my life is to be, to be a dad. And you know what, and for me, for my situation, I had an absentee dad, so in raising my kids, it was like a, a, a double dip, because it was almost like I got to live my childhood again, doing all the things I wish my dad had done for me. So it's a blessing. So, you know, for all that you, you've done for your families, you're doing for your families, we love you, we thank you, we appreciate you, we esteem you. I want to just pray, would you just stretch your hand toward some of these dads this morning? Father... We're so grateful, so grateful for the fathers in this place, the grandfathers in this place, Father. Lord, we just pray a special blessing upon them, Lord, a peace, a joy that will fill their heart even greater than ever before. Lord, and I thank you that you continue to use them, O oh God, to speak not only into their children's lives and grandchildren's, but, Father, others that come across their path they can be a dad too. Even if it's just for a few moments or in a situation, Father, I thank you that you use them to speak encouragement, speak wisdom, and speak life into those around them. We bless them. Father, may today be a very wonderful and special day in their lives. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Well, give them another hand. Hallelujah. We love you guys. Dads are great. Amen. Yes, they are. Turn to Ephesians 6. Anybody remember what we're studying about? <laughs> what was that? I wasn't sure I heard all that. We're talking about what? A fight to the finish. And we're talking specifically about using the armor of God in this fight. Now, let me tell you, church, don't ever... Get, be under the assumption that we're not in a fight. I'm going to tell you, the enemy, really his greatest weapon, we haven't really talked about it, but his greatest weapon is to convince people that he's not really real. I mean, what would be better than to be wrecking havoc against a people and yet nobody even knows that you're doing it? Nobody even knows that you're responsible for it. But listen, we need to be, as Paul said, he said we are not ignorant or not to be ignorant of Satan's devices. Now, we've been talking about weapons versus wiles, W-I-L-E-S. Now, that word wiles, we don't use it that much, but uh, it's defined, the word wiles, you can still find it. It's actually in the dictionary, even though we don't use it that much. Here's how it's defined. It's defined as a trick, an artifice, or a stratagem meant to fool to trap or deceive. It's, it's a trick, 
It's a stratagem meant to fool, to trap, or deceive. And that's how the enemy works. He wants to work against us. Now, last week, uh, there in Ephesians chapter 6, you find that reference point. We're going to read it in just a moment. We talked about the spiritual attacks of the enemy. We're kind of a couple of points that I didn't get to. I want to finish up, and then we're going to move along and talk about some other ways this morning. But two of the, the spiritual I call them spiritual attacks that the enemy comes, tries to use to defeat us in our life. And listen, Paul says here, he says, Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now, it's implied here that if we don't take on the full armor, that we could, what, be subject to his schemes. Isn't that right? Otherwise, why would he bother to write us? So putting on and keeping on and utilizing the armor of God is important. We cannot fight the the enemy with the strength of our flesh or even just the strength of your will alone. Now, your will has a place, but if you're just trying to use willpower, you're going to get worn out, and you're going to lose every time. But here's the thing. Let's put God's armor on and let it go to work for us because then he says when you wear the armor what does that mean you're strong when I am wearing the armor I'm strong in God why don't you say that with me when I am wearing the armor of God then I am strong see strong is not about a feeling oh man you ever felt weak Oh, my gosh. You know, but see, this is, see, that's where the enemy wants to get us. And one of those we talked about last week is deception. And that's what the enemy, he uses our feelings to deceive us. Well, I don't feel strong, so I must not be strong. He didn't say one word in here about feeling, did he? He said, if you put on the armor of God, then you will be strong in God. Doesn't matter how I feel. Isn't that right? You know, I can get up tomorrow morning and I can just, you know, you ever just gone to bed and you're on top of the world and you wake up the next morning and your feelings are somewhere else? But you know what I can do? I can get up, I can turn on the lights, the light switch works, I can get the coffee going, the coffee pot works, the shower works, I get in the car, the car works just as good as that day when I felt great. Because the way I felt didn't have anything to do with whether or not electricity worked that day or the mechanics in my car worked that day or the shower worked that day and the plumbing in my house had nothing to do with my feelings. Same thing with the armor of God. You put on the armor of God. He says you're strong. Doesn't matter how you feel in the suit. You may be feeling like, well, I don't know if this is all that comfortable or not. Just keep wearing it. The more you have it on, the more comfortable you'll feel in it. Amen. All right. One of them we, we didn't get to, but one of the attacks that the enemy uses against us spiritually is distraction. What do I mean by that? It's a strategy to get your focus on something different from what God said is important. It's a distraction. You know, a lot of things that happen in our life are distractions. They're meant to distract. You know, You have a disagreement with your wife or your husband. You know what that can become? A distraction. You have a disagreement with a brother or sister. What happens? That becomes a distraction. 
You get up in the morning. I mean, you're praising God to everything. You go out into the driveway, flat tire, distraction. Somebody cuts you off on the way to work, distraction. And see, he wants to distract you because he wants to get your focus off of God, off of God's Word, off of God's will, off of God's purpose, and get it onto something. And most of the times, it's stuff that's inconsequential. See, I'm not talking about the big thing to hit you. That's not a distraction. That's, you know, that's all hands on deck. I mean, you know, we're going to get in there and we're going to fight. We're going to see this thing through. But it's all these little distractions. He wants to steal your joy, steal your peace, get you upset, keep your emotions churning, keep your mind all upset. But, you know, it's kind of like this. In my weakness, Paul said this, in my weakness, God's strength is what? Made uh, perfect. You know, the cares of life here are what the enemy uses to distract us. Have you ever noticed that? I found this out. Man, you know, uh, in the area of finances, this becomes a big distraction for a lot of people. Are you listening? You look at, you, look at, you know, the bills, the bills that are due. And all those kind of things, and the enemy begins to tell you all kind of things. You're not going to make it. You're not, you know, God's not going to come through for you this time. Or you get all concerned. You know, the Bible talks about the cares of life, the deceitfulness of riches. Things come in and begin to crowd it out. You know, what's going on at work? What's going on here? What's going on there? And all of a sudden, all of that stuff gets so big, becomes such a distraction, you can't see God. I remember uh, being in New York City one particular occasion. We went there several times. We went there one time, took Cindy there for her 50th birthday. And uh, I remember, you know, you could, you could, you could get to the uh, Empire State Building or something like that, you know, and I found out if you got far enough away, I could hide it behind my index finger. But you know what? This is a funny thing. As I got closer, we got closer to that building. You know what? Perspective changed. And all of a sudden, when I got right up to that building, it was like, man. And I realized my finger wasn't even big as one of the bricks in it. And what happens with the enemy? He begins to deceive us. He begins to distract us with all these things. And he gets our focus down. And that dot, that distraction becomes your whole life. Everything's wrong. Everything's bad. I don't know what we're going to do. Anybody ever been there? See, that's how he he distracts us. You know what? We have to remember, what was the last thing God said to you? Did you know you can never read in the Bible where God says, you're going to fail? You're not going to make it. Thus saith the Lord. Here's the word of the Lord to you. You're going under. You can't read that in here. You can't find that in here. But see, just like when I was in New York City, when I got too far, when I could get far enough away from that building, see, what we do is we get our perspective all gets all skewed, and that's what the enemy wants to do. And so we need to what? Refocus on what is important, what God said. So what is the armor we can use to counter this attack of a distraction? First of all, put on the helmet. He talks about here the helmet of salvation. 
What does that do? That protects our thought life. Oh, listen, many a time the devil's tried to distract me. All, big things, little things. The enemy attacks at times. He's, I mean, you know, we're just like you. We've been at this thing a long time now. He's attacked us in our finances. He's attacked us in relationships. He's attacked us physically. He's attacked us in financially. I mean, you name it. Anybody, can I get a witness? Anybody been attacked like that? In every way like that. But so, you know what you have to do? The first thing is, is you've got to put the helmet, got to keep the helmet of salvation on. What has God said? And all of a sudden, see, when you start thinking God's thoughts after Him, you start getting into the Bible, you find out what God says. Is we, you know what we're doing? We draw closer to God as we what? As we dwell on His thoughts. And all of a sudden, we're getting right up there close to God and what He said. And all of our problems and all of the distractions of the enemy come into their proper size and focus. You know, there's one place in the Psalms where God says He looks down on the plans and schemes of man and He laughs. You know, God's just laughing at the devil. And you know what? If you get your perspective right, you can laugh too. You can have joy in the midst of a difficulty if you just get your perspective right. But you got to put on what? The helmet of salvation. That's God's Word to protect your thought life. Because the enemy wants to distract you with all those thoughts, negative thoughts. It's not going to work. God's not going to come through. It's, God's not going to do it for you. Are you listening? Then the shield of faith. We lift up the shield of faith to protect our heart from doubts. To protect our hearts from doubts. You know, the enemy is the great separator. That's what he does. You know, I, I've told you before, I'll tell you again about what I call Bible math. God adds and multiplies. The devil divides and subtracts. So if you're wondering... You know, what's going on in my life? Is this God? Is this the enemy? Whoever? Just look at the math. That's what he does. The devil loves to separate us. That's what he did in, in the garden. He separated man from God. That was his whole intent. And that's what he wants to do with you. And see, he wants us to get so focused on the distractions, the cares of life, the little things he's doing, that we're more occupied in our thought life with what the devil's doing than what God's doing. Oh, he loves to do that. You talk to Christians sometimes, you know, you can hear them by their talking. They are well aware of what the devil's doing. But, you know, hey, what's God doing? What's God said? So we lift up our shield of faith because if not, the devil wants to separate us from God by getting us into doubt. Are you listening? Now, I don't mean you're separated in your union, but you're separated as far as God's strength and God's purpose working through you in that time and in that situation because doubt will separate you. God's power and God's ability works hand in glove with what? Our faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Everything that we receive from God is by faith. So the enemy wants to begin to get you to doubt. Doubt. And what does he do? Immediately, you, you kind of come over here in that situation, in that battle or that 
situation you're in, and you're, all of a sudden you find yourself separated, disconnected from the power, the grace, and the strength of God for that situation. And so, you know, when I, either I've done that, then the next thing I do is I try to figure it out. I try to work in my own strength. But see, when we lift up the shield of faith that Paul talked about, remember we said that shield, you know, it's not this big. We want the shield of faith, that big shield that covers from top to bottom, that shield that we can move around so that whenever the devil is firing, shooting those fiery arrows or darts, the King James calls them, at us, we can shift it around. One of the biggest darts he tries to use to penetrate your heart is doubt. Has God said? And then also prayer. What? We commit our way to the Lord through prayer. No matter what I see, no matter what's going on, I'm not going to be moved by it. I'm not going to be distracted out of God's will, out of God's purpose for my life. I'm going to stay laser focused on God and what He has said. And I'm not going to let it move me. Are you listening? And then finally, the sword of the Spirit. What we speak God's promise over our life. What has God said? Remember? Who's always the smartest person in the room? God. You got it. So, it, you know, I don't know about you, but whenever I'm with a group of people, depending on the circumstance or whatever it is, if I know somebody there that has an expertise in an area, guess who I'm going to go to? I'm going to ask the smartest person in that room, in that area. Isn't that right? And for us, that's always God, isn't it? What did He say? What did He say about it? Stop. Stop. See, the devil wants you to start saying what he says. But you know what? We need to say what God says. We talked about facts and truth. Remember that? The facts of your life, they're real. They're genuine. You say, I don't know, I don't believe that they are. Well, let me stomp on your foot. That's a fact. That, that hurt, didn't it? That's a fact. But the truth can change the facts. And I focus, I don't deny the facts, but I focus on the truth, God's Word. Secondly, disappointment. Disappointment. We're talking about weapons versus the schemes, the wiles of the enemy what are some of the weapons that he uses? Not only distraction, but disappointment. A strategy, disappointment is a strategy to discourage when circumstances are contrary to God's will or God's will is delayed. As I said, the whole aim of this discouragement and disappointment is what? It's to separate us. Because he knows this, if he can separate us from God, he's going to defeat us. But let me take that a step closer. If He can separate us from one another, He can also defeat us. Many Christians are fighting a battle by themselves. I've, you know, I've talked to Christians, and, you know, we, and I'm happy that we've got so much of the gospel you know, on television, on the Internet, so many different ways, streaming and all. All the, all the ways the gospel is going out, just like Paul said, I'm rejoicing. You know, I'm not there to parse every little doctrine and see if they dot every I like I do and cross every T. I'm glad if they're preaching Jesus and Him crucified, I'm happy. Amen. 
It doesn't bother me one whit what's on the door of the church as far as the label that's put up there. What difference does that make if they're preaching Jesus? Okay? And with all that said, though, you still need the body of Christ. Why is it important that we come together? Because the enemy seeks to what? To disappoint us, to discourage us. Listen, how do you, has life been everything that you expected? <laughs> I mean, have you got everything that you thought your life would be? I mean, it's never taken an unusual turn. It's never anything unexpected has happened. I mean, your 10-year plan's going along great. <laughs> you ever have one of those? <laughs> Years ago, it was real popular. You had your five-year plan, and then, you know, you had, you had your long, you know, and, it, and there's nothing wrong with making plans, but I want to tell you something. You know, you can make your plans, but the Bible says the Lord's going to direct your steps. Isn't that right? But life, sometimes, it's not what we expected. It, it, things happen. You know, and somebody's always, you know, asking you, you know, uh, Pastor, why did this happen? And why did that happen? And why didn't this happen? And why didn't that happen? And I always tell them, it's way over my pay grade. I'm just a pastor. You need to be talking to Daddy. You need to be talking to God, man. Go find Dr. Vickers. You're, this is way over my pay grade. <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm just a simple pastor. But things happen unexpected. We won't read it, but over there in Acts 27, you remember, here's Paul. God has revealed to Paul that you're going to stand before Caesar and preach the gospel. Hallelujah. I mean, that'd be like, uh, you know, somebody telling us, you know, I'm going to bring you before President Trump to preach the gospel. Man, you'd, you'd get all happy and, whoo, praise the Lord, thank you, Lord. But then the method comes in. Wait, Lord, not this way, because Paul finds himself, what? Falsely accused, chains on, in the belly of a ship, in the middle of a storm, for days. Talk about having a bad day. When... God's promise seemed to be denied or delayed. That's where the enemy wants to, what, bring disappointment in. He wants you to give up too soon. Paul was there. Everything, I mean, they, had, they were so afraid. I mean, these were hardened soldiers and sailors. I mean, they knew the sea. They were tough. These were not, these were, I mean, these were tough men. They had thrown all the cargo over. They'd thrown everything over. There was nothing left to throw over. I mean, you know? And they were afraid. Paul, after days of that, Paul stands up and he says, Be of good cheer. You know they wanted to just haul off and whack him. Man, there's one in every crowd. What are you talking about? Be of good cheer. And Paul goes on, he said, this is what God's told me. And he says, sirs, I want you to know that I believe God that it shall be even as he's spoken unto me. You know, when the, when the, when the wind is blowing the rain into your face, 
when you're soaked and drenched and it looks like everything's been thrown over that you can do. There's nothing else that you can do. You've tried everything. You've pushed every button. You've pulled every lever. You've done everything. You've called grandma. I mean, you, everybody's praying. And it looks bad. Then what do you do? Here's the armor used in this attack. Because the enemy does this to us. See, that wasn't God. Are you listening to me? God didn't bring the storm. The enemy brings the storms in life. But listen, God wants you to learn to stand in them. And you know, Paul didn't, isn't that one of the words, the phrases he used? He said, <clears throat> he said, put on the full armor of God that you can stand. You can stand. God wants us to stand. When the, when the wind comes and the waves roll and, the, and, and all of life is throwing everything at us, He wants us to be able to what? Stand. Stand. How are we going to do that? First of all, get out the shield of faith. What does it do? It guards your heart again from what? From doubt. Because the enemy will bring a storm against you in life to come against the purposes and the will of God for you, and then he will point at the storm and say, see there, this proves God didn't want you to do, have that, or God didn't want to do that, or God didn't say that to you. Are you listening? That would be like me coming up to you, stomping on your foot and say, see there, God caused your toe to hurt. But you know, it's amazing how many times we fall for that. Oh, I thought it was God, but I guess it wasn't. That's doubt talking. You lift up your shield of faith, just like Paul. I mean, he's standing out there. I mean, he's drenched like a, you know, a wet dog. I mean, he's soaked to the bone. Everybody around him is despaired. His hair is being blown back by hurricane force wind. The, the, the rain is hitting him like needles out there. And he says, I believe God. Now, that's the shield of faith. The sword of the Spirit. We speak out God's Word. And then what? Prayer of thanksgiving. Listen, I found this. When the storm comes today, I remember the victory yesterday. In the storm is a good time to rehearse the past victories. Are you listening? I'm sure Paul thought about, you know, the times that he'd been delivered. I mean, he'd been stoned. God raised him up. He'd been put in prison at midnight. They were praising God. The whole prison got saved, and he got set free. I'm sure he remembered the victories that God had given him and delivered him before, and he said, this is not going to be any different. You need to learn to rehearse. That's that, that prayer of thanksgiving and remembering, that shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit. Take up your armor in the midst of the storm. We could say this way, it's a good storm suit. You want, instead of a storm shelter, put on the storm suit. Put on the armor of God and wear it. Now, the mental attacks of the enemy also come against us. In Acts 10.38, I'm going to read it there real quickly. Paul, of course, Peter here is preaching to Cornelius' house. It's the first time the Gentiles have heard the message. He's preaching to them. 
And then I'm just going to pick it up. I just want to read one scripture here in verse 38. He says, you know how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the power or oppression of the devil because God was with him. Now, the mental attacks of Satan, I call in many ways, are the ways that the enemy first begins to try to oppress us. Discouragement, depression, doubts, feelings of, 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 no, of low self-worth, so, low self-esteem. This is how the enemy comes at us. Because he, all the time he wants to erode our footing. You know, have you ever been uh, on the, maybe down at the Gulf or some other place on the beach, you know, where, they had a, where the riptides were strong? And even if you're standing, just, you know, you don't want to go out there too far because if you do, it'll just start dragging you out. But you can even be in waist-deep or knee-deep water, and you can feel that back current coming out. You know what else you can feel? The sand being washed out from under your feet. And what the enemy tries to do, see, is to erode our, our standing so that, what, we begin to feel insecure we begin to feel like oh wait a minute here because he begins to tell you you know what God doesn't really love you that much think about what you did you know what you said you know what you thought you know how you lost your temper the other day you know God's not going to do that for you think you call yourself a Christian all these mental attacks that the enemy will bring at you Low self-esteem. You're not any good. Nobody likes you. Nobody loves you. Anybody ever had any of those thoughts? Man, I did. See, that was my diet growing up. That and a swift backhand if you weren't too quick enough to duck. <laughs> See, he, he wants to oppress. He, the word oppression here means to exercise dominion against. Listen to this. It's intense opposition by a ruler of great authority. Now, the enemy is going to do his best to bring his thoughts and his accusations. You know, he's, taught, he's called the accuser of the brethren. Do you know when those thoughts of accusation and condemnation and guilt and you're no good and you're not loved, those immediately should put up the red flag. You know, I talked about, you know, those rip currents. You know, when they got the rip currents out there, you go out there, you go on the beach, what kind of flag's out there? And they're telling you, listen, watch out for that rip current. Watch out for what it's trying to do. I want to tell you something. There needs to be a red flag goes up in your heart and mind when all those thoughts come against you that you're not loved, that you, you're not important, that God doesn't care about you, that you have no worth. Listen, that's a red flag. That's a riptide current of a mental oppression. And it's for the what? It's to keep you from what? Having your footing. It comes against the mind, the will, and the emotions. What was the first words recorded by a man after the fall? I was afraid. I was afraid. Fear 
has a controlling power if we let it dominate us. And most of the mental attacks are to generate and create a fear in our mind and, if possible, in our heart. And to begin to get us to direct, organize, and carry out our daily living based on fear rather than love. Remember, the Bible says fear has torment. Oppression always brings torment with it if you don't stand up against it. Now listen to this. The three, three great fears, there's others, but these are, these are, I think just about any other fear could come under these. Three great fears of Satan's oppression I want to share with you real quickly. First one is fear of lack. And by this I mean I am not enough or I do not have enough. I am not enough, my identity, who I am, you know. But here's the thing. God says that now that you're a child of God, if you put your faith in Jesus, now that you're a child of God, He says what? He says you are now an heir and a joint heir. You are a child of God. And the Bible says, even this, he goes this far, he says, God looks at us and sees us as righteous. What does that mean? To be in right standing with God. That means God's not mad at you. God's not holding anything against you. There's nothing in your life that God is looking at and saying, okay, that's it, I reject you. But fear, this first fear is fear of lack, that I'm not enough. Somehow I don't measure up. If I, if I could just do more, if, if I could be better, I could be more. Listen, you are complete, the Bible says, in Christ. What the enemy tries to do through fear is to pull you out of that perspective and set you over here separate and say, okay, now look at that. Look at who you are without Jesus. Look at who you are without God in your life. You're, you, you're never going to make it. You're not enough. You're not good enough. But you know what we do? We got the what? The helmet of salvation on. We begin to what? We begin to remember, wait a minute. God says that I am dead. The old me is dead. And my life is hid with Christ in God. When God looks at me, when God looks at you, you know what he sees? Jesus. Hallelujah. Remember the prayer that Jesus prayed, Father, that they might be one? I and you and you and me and us and them and them and us. I just believe it. The second great fear, real quickly. Well, and also, he says here, that I do not have enough. Listen, all that you need for life and godliness, Peter says, has been given to you. Everything that you need. Find out what it is. Get in the book, the Bible. Find out what God said. What did He say? I do not have enough. I don't have enough strength. The Lord is the strength of your life. I do not have enough peace. God will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him. Isn't that right? Whatever... The do not have enough is, there is an answer to it in this book. The, the second great fear, fear of loss or death. 
You know, really, it's loss of control or power. There's something about the human nature outside of God. We want to be in control. Don't you? Oh, just me. Me and two of you. We, we want to be in control. I don't, I don't like it when, you know, when I don't feel like I'm losing, I, I've lost control here. Wait a minute. I, I, I need to, you know, I need to make sure I got all my ducks in a row. I got everything, you know, answered, everything taken care of here. I don't like to be out of control. I want to be in control. But here's the thing. The Bible says that what? We have given the control of our lives over to God. Isn't that right? Now, He is Lord, not me. But see, what the enemy wants to do, he wants to come in and tell you, listen, can you really trust God with the control of your life? Can you really trust God? I mean, you know, I mean, look at it. Don't look like to me God's doing too good a job there, you know. And what he wants to undermine, he wants to begin to get that fear. Well, you know, well, uh, maybe that's right. Maybe I, maybe I do need to do something. Maybe I need to, you know. And the next thing you know, he gets us moving in fear rather than in faith. And that's what he loves to do, to get you over here so that you all of a sudden feel like, man, I've got to take things under control. I'll give you an example from the Scriptures. Anybody remember King Saul? King Saul, first king of, of Israel, he was anointed. He was called to be king. You know the story. You know, they were getting ready to go to battle. He was waiting for the prophet to come down. And, you know, and offer the sacrifice and the blessing, and, they, and then the army was going on. But, you know, there was a delay. Hello. Delay. And with the delay, every day of the delay, there was more fear that mounted in Saul's heart. And he began to be afraid. He began to look at it, and he said, hey, you know, what am I going to do? I better do something here because the people are going to, I mean, you know, after all, I'm king. I, you know, the king's supposed to have the answer. I need to do something here. I need to be in control. So he acted presumptuously out of his fear. And you know what? My testimony is like his. Every time I've allowed fear to control me, I do something presumptuously. And it's never been a good result for me yet. Never one time. Never a good result. The third fear, real quickly, fear of punishment. 1 John 4. Let me read this scripture to you real quickly. How are you doing out there? Are you okay? 1 John 4.18, listen to this. There is no fear in love but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment the one who fears is not made perfect in love the fear of punishment you know as soon as something happens many people their first thought is it's because i did something wrong i deserve god doing this i deserve it but, you know, I've got good news for you. God's not dishing out things based on you deserving it. 
I mean, you don't want to take that to an extreme. We all, the Bible says, there's none righteous outside of God, no, not one. So what does that mean? We, we all deserve all the judgment, all the punishment, up to and including hell. But, thanks be unto God that Jesus Christ came and took all that for us. Are you listening? See, once, once the sentence has been carried out, you know, God's just like our court system here. You know, in our court system, we have something called double jeopardy. You ever heard of that? Double jeopardy. Where you, it says you cannot be tried for the same crime twice. Once you're found innocent or you're acquitted, that's it. And see, Jesus was found guilty and acquitted for what I did, for what you did. The sentence has been passed. I can't be tried again, and neither can you. Let me read you one more scripture here. We're going to talk about the armor used. Look in Hebrews 2, real quickly. Listen to this. Well, we'll back up to 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. Now listen to this verse. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. He's freed you. He's freed you from fear. The fear of death, the fear of of punishment, the fear of separation, the fear of judgment, the fear of condemnation, all those things. He said that fear has a controlling power. But God wants us to be and to live in the perfect freedom that He's provided. Real quickly, the armor used to defeat fear, the helmet of salvation. What? Control those wrong thoughts that come into our life. 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and 5. You can look at that later. But it says this. It says that we take God's Word and we pull down imaginations and every thought contrary to God. Now listen, there's nobody but God that knows all his thoughts. But here's what he's saying. He's not saying that you've got to know every thought that God's thinking about everything. But here's the thing. We know God's character. And his thoughts always align with his character. He is good. He is life. He is peace, He is joy, He is faith, He is goodness, He is purity. You could go right on down. So when those thoughts hit you, if they don't line up with the character of God, you know what we do? We take the helmet of salvation and we pull those thoughts down. Those thoughts of guilt and condemnation, we pull those down. Those are, those are thoughts that come from what? From the enemy. If you know His, what did Jesus say? He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. So we just, we just look at, okay, where these thoughts are coming from, okay, how do they line up? What character, whose character are they lining up with? God's, the Holy Spirit's, God's Word, or the enemy, who is the accuser, the deceiver, the condemner? Secondly, the shield of faith. Who God is and what He has said. He's told, he said over there in First Timothy, God has not given you a spirit of fear. 
but a power, love, and a sound mind. So when fear tries to come at you, a controlling fear, a fear that, that says you're not going to make it, you know, it's all over, you're going to lose, you're going to fail, we know where that fear is coming from, don't we? It's not coming from God. We cast that thing down. We hold up the shield of faith. We take the sword of the Spirit, and we begin to speak, what? Against those doubts. We begin to speak against those doubts. Has God said, I'm going under? No, God says, I'm more than a conqueror. Flash. God says, I'm more than a conqueror. God says that no weapon formed against me can prosper. If what? I take up the full armor of God and take my stand. Now, you can lay down and it can prosper against you. Sure it can. Fear can prosper. Doubt can prosper. But not if you take up the full armor of God. Amen? And then finally, the prayer of committal. Well, what do I mean by that? Giving it all to God. Be anxious, fearful, worried about nothing, he says. In other words, don't worry about anything. Boy, that's a, that's, a, that's a big one right there, isn't it? You ever tempted to be worried? Woo-wee. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now, some of you, I know, you, you got it all together, but, you know, some of us are still working on this stuff. And Paul said this. He said, you know, he said, this is a daily struggle. It's a struggle. And remember I said last week, you know, Struggle is not bad because it shows you haven't been taken captive. Are you listening? When you're, if you're still, you're, you're still taking your stand, you're still wrestling, you're still struggling, you're still resisting, you're, you're putting on your armor, you're resisting these things the enemy brings against you, that tells me this, what? You've not been taken captive. You're still in the fight. You're still viable. You're still alive. God's still at work in you. You're not a POW. Amen? Absolutely. Now let me give you some action points, and then we're going to pray. Purpose that you will no longer conduct this spiritual warfare just with your mind and your reason and your natural strength, but by the armor God has supplied. Put on the armor and then use the armor. Use it. It'll work for you. The good thing about God's armor is one size fits all. Doesn't matter if you're tall or short. Doesn't matter if you're, you're, you're chunky or thin. Doesn't matter. Whatever you're saying, you put on the armor and then use it. And here's the thing about it. When you use God's armor, now see, naturally speaking, of course, the armor in the natural, if I put on a suit of armor, it would only be as good as I am, as my ability. But here's the thing about God's armor. It's supernatural. When I put on God's armor, He says automatically that armor has in it the strength of God. Because He said, be strong in the Lord. So when I use that shield of faith, it has the power of God's faith in it. When I put on the helmet of salvation, it's got what? The power of God's Word covering me. And we could go on every piece of armor. And we could. So when you use it, it's not just depending on how strong I feel. But when I use God's armor, it's infused with His strength. Second action point. Make a determined decision. And that's what it takes. 
a determined decision that you will learn to use God's armor in your everyday walk of faith. Your everyday walk of faith. Not just for the big, oh, I'm going to leave it over here in the corner, you know. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever been to, maybe if you, if you go to Europe or some of those places, you know, you can go through, probably have some of you too. We've gone through some of these castles, you know, the old castles and all. You see the suits of armor. They got them, you know, on these stands or whatever, you know. They're just over there all polished up and everything. But you know what? They never get any use. They're just on display. Don't just have your armor over for display and wait until the big battles and then I'm going to put it on. See, that's your problem. If you will wear this armor and in a daily way, things little, things large, you begin to use it. You know what you become? You'll become skillful. And when you become skillful, God's armor works at the peak, if you will, efficiency. And so that the first thing you think when a, an attack comes against you is, boom, you got your armor. You start using the helmet of salvation. You, you automatically put up the shield of faith. You automatically draw the sword of the Spirit. You automatically got your feet solid in the gospel of truth. And man, he may hit that shield. You may feel him hit that shield, but man, you got that sword. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it and pray that you are blessed by God's Word. For more information about Passion Church, visit www.mypassion.church.